All right, good morning. You guys can have a seat. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend, and so the crowd's a little thinner and the air conditioning's working. So as we parents, as you let campers on children, if you're sending your children back, your elementary kids, uh, they're going to meet Miss Debbie there in the back. She is holding up a white piece of paper, so send them back. And then if there's space left, uh, we did finally get the air conditioner going in here, and you're like, I'm freezing. Just get to know someone. Come closer to them. Share the body heat, because it's, <laughs> I love it. It's amazingly cool. We worked hard, but if you just in, you're probably like, wow, it's working. So uh, we're glad you're here uh, this morning. If holiday weekend, uh, we're glad that you have done so. Uh, so as the kids uh, go around the side there, what I'd like to do is I'd like just to open us up by reading our scripture. So if you have your bulletin there in front of you, you want to pull it out, it's on the front page, your worship guide. And we've got a lot. We're going to kind of skip stone through uh, the scripture this morning and look at some big uh, headings. So following along with me, we'll start reading there in Genesis. Genesis 1, 28, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. To Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Moving to Exodus 3, 9 through 12. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And now to Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. And now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just take a moment and thank God for the scripture and pray just once again before we step in uh, to the sermon this morning. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that as we take time again this morning to look at being on mission, God, that that idea originates with you. We thank you, Jesus, that uh, you're the Lord over us. You're the one that sends us out. We thank you for this call. We thank you that it all relies upon you. Give uh, me clarity this morning. May your word pierce us as has been prayed. May it change us. And may we be, be people who delight in you, Lord, and delight in your sending. Christ, it is in your name that I pray. Amen. So if you have dropped in with us and you're 
uh, visiting or you've just been catching up with us, in your seat you have this extra little piece of paper and it says, on mission together. And then on the back we have these symbols and Spencer has taken time to kind of go through this graphically. We love you. If you love graphics, there's a page for you. If you love words, there's a page for you. If you love both, you've just double excited, right? And we have been giving this to you, and we're just, we're just doing that over and over because we want you to get this idea that missions is important to us as a church because we believe it's important to God, right? And so if you're like, I have looked at this enough, if that's your feeling, then good. That means we've, we've put it in front of you enough times now. If you're like, I've already seen this, I've read it, great. That means we're accomplishing the goal. We want you to hear this and see this and recognize that we took a lot of time to say, okay, Lord, what does it mean for us as a body to be on mission, to be faithful to what we believe the Scripture is calling the church and us in the church to be about? So that's where we're at this morning. We're just going to continue in missions. We set aside the month of May, Camp Redstone's highlighting it. We're highlighting it, and then uh, Juan Carlos next week is just going to continue to highlight this. And so by way of introduction, I have a question for you this morning. How many of you uh, are history buffs? Like, that's you. You've got the big fat books in your library. Here's the, you, you may not know if you're one. Here's how you know you're a history buff. When you and your friends or your family are sitting on the couch and you're flipping through the channels, and it's the fourth installment of the documentary of how the Model T changed suburban life in America, and you're the one that gets excited, and you're like, oh, oh, let's watch that. <laughs> if that's you in the room, then you're the history buff, and that's okay. Like, we need that. I'm not that person, but some of you are, right? It's good to know our history, and if you ever sat in a class, then you know uh, what your teacher told you, you know, the history informs what we're doing now. And the scripture, in a sense, is similar to that, right? Kind of the, the scripture, when it comes to us, it's spanning a lot of history, right? All the way from the beginning, Genesis, all the way till now, where we have Jesus giving us commands that are still in effect until he returns. And so that's why this morning I took time for us to kind of go backwards. Because I had this question. When you pull this up and you read this, last week Spencer, uh, he kind of finished his sermon on Acts 1-8. And if you look at that definition when we begin it, we begin it in Matthew chapter 28. And there's this place in Matthew, if you've been around church long enough, the Great Commission, right? Has anybody heard that term? It's, it's almost like it's Christianese, if you've been, like it's been on a t-shirt, if you've been in some Sunday school, you've been around church long enough, then you have heard about the Great Commission. And so I kind of had two questions about that, as I thought about what uh, to speak on and how to continue teaching on mission. The first is, what in the world's a commission? What is it? Sometimes we use words and we don't even know what they mean. Does that ever happen to you? Like you're in a group of people and they start using a word and you secretly Google it to find it on Merriam-Webster and you're like, oh, yes, yes, that was very amb ambiguous. I didn't understand it either, right? You laugh, you're guilty. Well, the first question is, what's a commission? And it, actually, the word commission is not in that scripture. It's a little subscript that kind of we title it, right? The commission is not in there. And then the second question I had of this 
is, is this the first time God is doing this? If we talk about this as being the Great Commission, has God been about commissioning before this moment in the Scripture? And if it's the first time, well, then that's unique. But if it's something God's been doing, then maybe something that God's doing in our history, repeating, maybe that will inform us and give it more weight and more understanding to this thing we call the Great Commission. Well, it's, I'm a little ashamed to say I did not know exactly what commission means. If you don't know this, I have a whole master's degree in cross-cultural ministry, which means missions. <laughs> And I made it all the way through that, and somehow either we looked it up and I forgot, or uh, I just never learned it. So I did what you did, and I went to Merriam-Webster online. And I'm like, what in the world's a commission? I think I know, like you think you know, but then you're like, I don't know that I know, right? I don't really know. And so I looked up the definition, and I actually found it to be uh, quite informative. The first, like, letter A under Merriam-Webster on commission is this, a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. I'll read it again. A formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I think I get it. I think I get why we use that word. And then here's the second definition. Uh, a certificate conferring military rank and authority. Also the rank and authority so conferred. And then I started, like, looking at the word, realized commission's not, like, just a Christianese word. Anybody ever heard of commissioning art? Like, someone commissions someone to do artwork. And then the other really most popular one that we kind of hear in current culture is a commissioned officer. If some of you have served in the military, you know the difference between a commissioned and a non-commissioned officer. I have not. I do not know the difference. I kind of read it, but I still, I get it and I don't get it. But I got this idea that there's something to do with uh, military in commissioning. So I went to the Naval Institute and found a paper on it, Captain Bill Bray. He's talking about what it meant to commission officers. And he says, the commissioning of officers has a long history and can be traced back to the Roman Empire. In the Middle Ages, sovereigns would offer noblemen commissions to raise armies to protect the realm. The commission was a lawful extension of sovereign power. The commission was a lawful extension of sovereign power. And this was great for me, kind of finishing out four years of master's degree. Like, oh, okay, that's, I get why we term. The commissioning is really uh, pretty simply that there is a power and authority that then extends that power and authority in some formal way to some individual to act. Right? As an individual, you don't commission yourself. Like there must be something greater than you for you to be commissioned out to perform something. And when I thought about that related to this idea of the Great Commission and God calling us into on mission, our definition is on mission together, I was like, oh, that just makes a ton of sense to me. That when we think about what it means to be on mission, we must first start with this idea that there is some sovereign authority, some formal place that this starts at. And then that is extended to us, and we don't act on our behalf. We act on behalf of the one that is sending us. This doesn't originate with us. If we're commissioned, it doesn't originate with me. It's not my power. It's not my authority. It's the one 
that sent me is the commissioner. And that was just so clarifying. So the definition really helped. And so then the second question, is this the first time God has been about this? Um, And that was an intriguing question, because when I did some research and I went back and I looked, uh, there are scholars that say that if you look for commissionings in the Bible, you'll find about a little over 20 of them, depending on how you define it. All right, and so I realized, okay, this is not new. This idea of the sovereign power extending to us some warrant of authority to act is not new. God, if we look closely in the Scripture, has been about this for quite a while. And so I want you, and I really like the fact that all these fit on the bulletin. That made me really happy. I was scared one of these wouldn't fit. So you can see them all in a row. I like that. This is good, studious behavior. Look at them all in a row now together, and we're going to look at uh, some commonalities in all of these Scriptures, okay? And lots of these are well-known, and it's okay if you're new to the church, you're new to uh, Christianity. I think you'll still be able to hang with us uh, as we go through these. Uh, But these are pretty well-known, starting in Eden, going to Abraham, going to Moses, and now going to Matthew. And if you think about this like a stone that you're skipping across still water, we're kind of skipping hundreds of years here, just so you know. Sometimes thousands. There's a lot of years going on here as we're skipping this stone and we're looking at God's commissionings. Um, But the first common thread that I found when I looked at these commissioning moments of God was this, is that the task... The task when God commissions you is bigger than you. The task is bigger than you. Go back to Genesis. Look at what God says to Adam and Eve. Hey, be fruitful, multiply. We get that. Fill the earth. Wait a minute. Okay, be fruitful, multiply. If you stopped right there, you'd be like, okay, we can can figure that out. Redstone, a lot of us figure that out. Uh, And then fill the earth and subdue it. Did you catch that? (laughs) Hey, your task, Adam and Eve, go fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and everything that lives in it. Like we know that task when God is looking at them is, is kind of beyond just those two people, but hear the weight of that task. It is much bigger than them. God has the entire planet in scope. If you know anything about the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham, when God says to Abram, hey, I want you to leave all your comfort, leave everything you know, leave your father's house, and I'm going to send you to a new place. All right, that's a pretty major task, but that's not necessarily bigger than Abraham. And then he says this, I will make of you a great nation. If you know anything about Abraham, uh, or Abram at this point, he was 75 when God calls him. He and his wife Sarah have failed to have a child. And now God is speaking to this man. He says, hey, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. What? (laughs) Say that again, Lord. (laughs) Okay. The task is so much bigger than Abram. Look at Moses. Here's Moses. He's fled Egypt. He got to grow up with royalty, even though he's an Israelite. Here he is on the backside of Midian. He's watching sheep, and God calls him over. Uh, through a burning bush, and he says, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let go of my people. 
okay, that's a pretty decent task, bigger than yourself. Hey, Moses, if we were to reward it, I want you to go to one of the most powerful men on the planet, and I want you to tell him to let go of his entire economic force, crash his economy, turn his entire culture upside down, and bring all my people out. Got it? Okay, good. Ready? Go. The task is so much bigger than individual, right? And then in Matthew, here's Jesus. He's talking to 11 guys at this point. Judas is out of the picture. There may be other disciples around at this moment. The Scripture only lists the 11. Uh, And they are watching and going, okay, Lord, you want us to leave Galilee. Like, you can draw, like, you could drive the distance the disciples have probably ever traveled in their life in a day in a car, and it wouldn't be hard. And God says to those 11 guys, I got a task for you. I need you to go to all the nations and make disciples. Places you don't even know the names of, I need you to go there. Once again, God's looking at the whole globe. When God commissions, the task is bigger than us. And if you don't feel that when you read the scripture, you read it too fast. You should feel that. You should see that and go, whoo, who can do that? Who can do that? But remember, it's not about uh, the authority of the commissioned. It's about the commissioner, the one who sins. The second place that I notice, this common thread that runs through all of these, and these overlap, so forgive me if... Uh, you see that, but that is that there is an authority bigger than you when God commissions you or us. There is an authority bigger than you. Go back to Eden. Now, can you imagine this? Here are the first two people on the planet. Like, the first two. They are looking around at the creation They're looking at trees, massive trees with bark that didn't even grow up in the ground. Like, it just started. It just bark just happened. They're looking at lions for the first time. I mean, there's just, there's like clouds and sky and voices, and you can see, like, there's sensation and there's touch. The dew is dripping off creation, and it is sparkling brand new. And the creator, the being that just did all that, he just spoke it and it happened, says to these two individuals, I have a task for you to go multiply and fill. In that moment, for those two individuals, it's pretty clear where authority lies. Whoo, okay. You just did all of this. You're God. Okay. Right? We'll go. Genesis 12. When God calls Abram, this is what he says. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. (laughs) I would love for someone to put that on your LinkedIn about me. I am going to be a great nation. People would probably defriend you and never hire you, right? I mean, there is, you, you don't have that kind of authority in yourself to suddenly say, oh, I am a great nation. It's really clear where that authority lies. Look at Moses. He is talking to God that has chosen to supernaturally visit him in a bush, 
a bush on fire, not a big deal. A bush on fire that's burning, not turning to ash, bigger deal. Bush on fire burning uh, and talking, really big deal, right? Never happens, <laughs> ever except for this once, right, when God does it. No question about where authority is in that moment. Come back to the disciples. Here they are looking at Jesus. Jesus, who they had walked with for three years. Jesus, who they saw die, bleed, die, put in a tomb. The Jesus who broke out of the grave, stone rolled away, living God from the dead, now talking to them. There's no question about where authority lies, right? So in each of these, when God commissions, it's very clear where authority is. But here's the deal, and this is where our hearts must be careful, is that it's always easiest looking inside to see authority. It's easy for us to read back and be like, oh, yeah, right, God's in charge. Look at that. But when we look at these stories, when you're on the inside, and our hearts get involved, then we discover that we struggle with that authority. Think about Adam and Eve. It's an amazing command, very clear, task bigger than them. An authoritative God has given it to them, and we know only two chapters later, chapter 3, that their decision is going to throw the entire planet into a different place, right? Look at Genesis 12. Here's Abram. Abram is a guy who Paul uses as his great example of faithfulness. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yet two times, Abram has this choice with Sarah. Here's Sarah. Here's Abram. Got their arms around each other. Here comes a Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, wow, that's a good-looking girl you got there. Abram's like, oh, yeah, she's my sister. You want her? Go ahead. You can have her. Two times Abram gets that test. Two times. He gives Sarah up, right? Like, it's real clear on the outside to be like, Abram, how could you even do that? The God of the heavens and the earth is like sending you. He's behind you. He's going to bless you, right? But in the moment in our hearts, authority can get clouded. Here's Moses. Moses argues with the Lord for so long at the bush. It really impresses me how long he argues with a supernatural event happening. And then I look at my own self and I go, I do the same thing. My heart is drawn to the same thing. Look at the disciples. Did you catch it in verse 17? Even in this moment, even standing in front of the resurrected Jesus, where we're all like, if you're standing in front of the resurrected Jesus, you're going to have full confidence, right? These guys in this moment, some of them doubted. They're still struggling with it. Are you, are you real? Is it real? Are you really God? Did God really do it? Are you God? Do I get it straight? Right? And the reality is, is what that is, the Bible gives it a, a pretty clear name, is it's sin. Every time God's commissioning us, it's very clear where authority lies, but in us and our hearts, our response to that often gets clouded because sin uh, clouds our judgment. When we talk about being on mission together as a church, right, uh, we have to be careful because sometimes uh, if we're not careful, when we hear this call that the church is on mission together, we will kind of delegate that to someone else. 
Like, oh, that's Juan Carlos's job because he's a missionary doing the thing. That's the pastor's job because God gave him like a specific calling, right? And lots of times I think what happens in our heart is that we hear the authoritative thing and we get it. We see ourselves included in those disciples, disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples, teaching again and again and again, and somewhere we've stepped into that picture. But what happens is sin in our heart makes us doubt our part in that. Well, Lord, I don't know. Have you seen how messed up I am? Have you seen my sin? Have you seen my inadequacies, God? And he's like, yes. We have no doubt that when we come into this and we, we're put together, that there is more going on in our lives than that. We have no doubt that everyone in this room at some way is being sanctified and responding to God, hopefully putting death to your sin, and that some way you're broken. We have no doubt of that. If you smile at me every Sunday and you shake my hand and you're looking great, I know, because I know me and I know you, that somewhere there's brokenness in you and that God is working on that. But lots of times when we hear this call to be on mission, and we hear and we sense that authority, our heart will rise up and be like, but I am inadequate, Lord. Have you seen my sin and my failing? So here's my question, is that God gives us a really <laughs> clear, and we talk about it a lot, clear understanding of how to respond. Number one, if there is sin in your life and you don't know Jesus, then yes, you cannot yet be on the mission because you're not yet on the team. So if you're like, yeah, I don't even know that I'm trusting Christ and that I have asked him to save me and forgive me, then yes, you're not on mission yet. We would encourage you to respond in faith to that message and say, Lord, save me. I need you. I need your salvation. I cannot save myself. But then if you are just a believer and you're struggling with this, you're like, I don't know that I can be on mission with God. But you're in Christ. You belong to him. Are you confessing? Are you repenting? If that's true, if that is what your spiritual life looks like, then here's my question. Are you elevating your inadequacy above the authority of the one sending you? Have you decided your sin or your inadequacy that I'm not able to be on mission because you've decided you're unable? Or have you trusted the authority that's sending us. Be careful theologically. Don't make your sin greater than God who has died to carry it on the cross. Our hope, our trust resides in him. His authority, he's the commissioner. We're the sent. It's not on us, it's on him. And yes, sin can get in muddy the waters, cause confusion. We have a God that says, come to me, confess, repent, I'm going to put you right back in. It's a Christian life. So in commissioning, don't let your inadequacy um, cause you to not step up. Don't say, I'm not able, or I'm not good enough, I'm not wealthy enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't know enough. That's not the view of commissioning in Scripture. Plenty of people were imperfect. They were all imperfect except for Jesus.
And then finally in commissioning, and, and this is what I saw running through these, is there is an expectation bigger than you. Real similar to the task, but there's this expectation bigger than you. When God talks to Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, I want you to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That is an expectation so much bigger than just us, right? It's a huge expectation. But that's what it looks like when God commissions. Hey, Abram, I'm going to do something in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What? What kind of expectation is that, Lord? How does it even work? <laughs> right? And we know, when we look at the Bible looking back, that God is, Paul tells us, God is ultimately talking about from Abraham will come Christ through his lineage. Right? When God commissions, the expectation is bigger than you. In Exodus, God says to Moses, hey, when you free these people and they come back to this place, these people that have been in slavery for almost 400 years or over 400 years, when they get free, they're going to come back to this mountain and worship me. What an expectation, right? In Matthew 28, God once again gets the whole globe in view. In Genesis, God has the globe in view. And then in Matthew, God has the globe in view. And the, the last commission to the disciples before Jesus leaves, he says, I need you to go to all the nations. The whole world is in preview. This expectation is bigger than us. Isn't that an amazing thing, though? Isn't that wonderful? It's so much more exciting to get behind God's vision because when it gets clear that you're behind God's vision, and we need this clarity in our hearts sometimes, it's like, wow, only God's going to do that. Like, I'm not going to fulfill that. I'm going to be obedient and trust the results to God. And if that's clear in us, then I think we, with confidence, can step into being on mission together. Right. This commissioning is so much greater than us. And yet, the Lord looks at us, imperfect people that he has saved. In Ephesians, if you read your CBR, it says, but God being rich in mercy towards us, towards you, towards me, has brought us into this amazing thing he is doing. God historically has been sending he has been sending and he has been sending. And when God sends, his vision, it's the earth. It's the globe. That's what God's about. It is a massive, amazing vision. And he calls us to come into that and to fulfill our part, whatever it is. But he calls us into it. We are on mission together. I did remember there was this unique part as I read in Matthew um, 28, and I was thinking about God's been doing these commissionings kind of over and over, and God has been doing this process of sending out. Is there anything unique about what happens here in Matthew? And there is this uniqueness as you have to think about the disciples, and we think about authority. Here they are talking to 
the risen living Christ. And here is God commissioning once again, but God is commissioning now not as a God only of the cosmos that chooses to speak through burning bushes and however he's doing it in Genesis into Abram's life. Here is now God speaking to the disciples as the God-man. So there is an authority that's always been there, the God of the universe, the God that created everything. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All that authority is still at play. And yet, the one who is speaking it, the one who has given that authority is now the God-man. And here is Christ speaking, telling them, here is my job for you guys. Here is my commission to you. And they're hearing it from a guy who has walked the steps in front of them. The authoritative God is not only God of the cosmos, but the God whose feet got dirty. The God who got tired when he walked miles upon miles upon miles. The God who faced rejection even unto death the God who was not popular, the God who was rejected by his very own family, the God who wept when his friends hurt. It's that God who now authoritatively says to us, I am sending you, and you now are following me. We, uh, in the church, this side of the cross, have this unique stance that as we follow God's authority, we have one that took every step before us. Hebrews says he is like us. He's been tempted in all things as we have. Jesus, who's both God and man, is now the one asking us to step out. It's now his authority that we're following. And I love that as we consider uh, this idea of being on mission together. So if you haven't, Take time, read this, understand it. Uh, we want this to be a heartbeat of our church, a significant, full part of what we're about. We really want you to be on mission together as a community. We mean it. We're putting time, energy, prayer. We're going for it. Not because we've decided we're an amazing church, that Spencer is the best pastor ever and we have the most amazing staff and our resources are spectacular. We're going for it because we are trusting the one who's sending us. We're trusting his authority. We're trusting the task, although much greater than us, and the expectation so much greater than us, is going to be fulfilled by him. Step into it with us. So as I thought about then the end of this uh, section in Matthew, I love the way Jesus finishes this. These bookends to the Great Commission are really amazing. God clarifies, hey guys, he comes to the disciples, kind of all commissionings, God is coming to the individual. The individual uh, typically is not... Seeking God, God comes to them, and he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm about to give you a crazy God-sized task that includes the whole globe. 
guess what? I've got it. All authority on heaven and earth. There is no political power. There is no uh, individual. There is no family head. There is no uh, nation, army, no disease. There's no solar flare, flare. There's no like crazy comet that's going to destroy the earth. Like all authority on heaven and on earth, like it's mine. It's all been given to me, every bit of it. I love that book in because right after that, he's about to give us a task that is massively God-sized. And then I love how he ends it on the other end of the bookend. Uh, in verse 20, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What an amazing reality. The God that has the authority over everything, 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 he says, I am with you to the end of the age. I love that. Um, and that is to be our comfort, right? That is to be our remembrance. And as we think about uh, communion this morning, when we take communion, when we as a body step back to break the bread and take part in the juice, remembering the body and blood of Christ, we do it not only in this moment, remembering backwards what Christ has done, but it is a future-looking act. Remember, Jesus with the disciples, do this until I come again and I will drink this with you. Isn't that amazing? And lo, I will be with you always, even into the end of the age. When we take communion this morning, I just want us to have uh, that thought in our hearts that God has given us this very tangible, very real remembrance of him. And he says, I am with you always. And so let communion this morning be that place that you're like, yes, the Lord is with us. He is with me. Even until this entire time span ends, whatever that looks like, whatever your eschatology is, that's a whole other sermon, whatever that's going to be, Jesus is going to be with you until that happens, and then he's going to be with you for eternity. He is never leaving you. You have a friend that sits closer than a brother ever could. Amen. So reading now out of Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we say each week, Jesus said it with his disciples. Illustration. This is my body broken for you so that I have to be broken. In the same way, he took uh, the wine, we have juice, and he poured it out, saying this is the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for us. 
this morning. If you are here, even if you're visiting and you know that you are a part of Christ, that you have trusted him as your Savior, uh, this communion is open to you. You are free to partake. There will be men stationed around the room. Uh, our bread is gluten-free, if that's a concern for you. And remember, it's juice. So as you're ready, uh, you can stand up and take at one of these stations. So let me pray, and then we'll stand uh, and take communion. Um, Jesus, we are um, we're so glad that you give us these things to remember. We're so glad, Christ, that you have uh, considered us and loved us, sent us, knowing our imperfection, giving us a way to be reconciled and redeemed. Jesus, for our body, we thank you that you are doing something that your expectation is so much ours. The place you're taking us is so much better. And so I pray, Christ, that we are a people who are bold and confident to step into your commission, trusting your authority, trusting your vision, and trusting your means. Christ, we ask all this in your good name. Amen.